This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let me just start with prayer. Father, I'm thankful that you have created a people for yourself. Um, I'm thankful that you're with us, that you sustain us, that you, uh, as you said in Isaiah, that you love us. Lord, I pray this morning as we just take some time to wrestle with uh, how we're just inadequate in a lot of ways, um, or maybe we just feel that way, that our hope and our joy and our peace would be found really in you. We need your help to soften our hearts and to appropriately humble us, but also exalt us because you are with us, Lord, and you've made us your witnesses. So I thank you for this morning and I thank you for this time. In your name I pray, amen. Yeah, it's hard to, uh, it's difficult to prepare a sermon even just thinking through some of the things that's been going on this week and kind of just the weight of them. Um, and even just kind of asking God to to make it clear, you know, if this is, you know, I don't, I don't feel like when things like this happen, I don't feel the like we have to move on with the next chapter in Isaiah just for the sake of moving on to the next chapter of Isaiah. And, and so I was kind of just praying about these things and even just uh, thinking about what was said uh, last Sunday and and how God is is looking at his people at the end of chapter 42 and c- kind of asking them. And we said in the sermon list, we said, we said, who among you will give ear to this? Who will attend and listen to the time to come? He's like, Jesus is, God is confronting us and, and asking us like, who who will pay attention to like the things that I'm saying? And there's just even just a little bit of a weight behind that um, because it, we just struggle. I mean, it's just, I mean, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I struggle to like really soak in and take deep down the good and the beautiful and the true things that God is saying about me, about others in the family, about what his promises are, hope for the future. And, and I think when we take sort of the ethereal or the 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 practical, the theology that we would learn and, and try to apply it to situations in our life that are just difficult. It feels like when, I feel insufficient when Isaiah is like, are you paying attention, you know? Sometimes I'm like, I don't think I'm paying attention. Like I feel inadequate. And then you have things, you have, you have someone die who you love and you see the suffering and you see the impact that that has on 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 a, a widening number of people, and I think you just—it's easy to appropriately just feel like, "What do I do? Like, how how am I equipped? How am I like adequate to wrestle with that? Much less other difficult things in my life. You know, that could be like work. That could be your child." <laughs> You know, that could be relationship situations. There's, there's just a lot of things that we approach day to day, Monday through Friday, you know, whatever, whatever it is. We approach these things, and I think 
when we listen to what God is saying and then we look at sort of survey the, the way we uh, listen to him and apply that to our lives, I feel like it's easy to feel inadequate. It's easy to feel inadequate. And as I was reading and praying and just asking God for wisdom, honestly, and just like where to go from here, I was encouraged by how God-centered Isaiah 43 is. I was, I was really encouraged at how God is making some wonderful, just like stake-in-the-ground statements about who he is and what he's doing. And I was encouraged by that. In my own feeling of like not knowing what to do, not knowing how to, in my feeling of just falling short of the glory and the majesty of God, it was really encouraging to me when I went into Isaiah 43 to just see the glory and the goodness and the faithfulness, honestly, of God's determination God's determination to reveal his glory and his majesty and his love to his people. Like he's determined to do that. And equipped (laughs) and capable and not exhausted and not confused and not struggling at all. And so my hope this morning as we walk through these sections, as we kind of narrow in and we focus on who God is and what he's doing, my desire, the thing that I was praying for is that we would just have a sense of God's majesty and glory and goodness and we would be honest. I think I liked what Ben said in a lot of our struggles in the Psalms, there's honesty there. There's honesty about the difficulties, but there's also honesty about like what I'm terrible at. There's also honesty about like how I actually fall short. And there's plenty of Psalms bemoaning that fact as well. And the the good news, I think the encouraging thing that Isaiah is trying to show us is that, yes, but we have a God who knows that, loves us, is there for us, and is at work doing wonderful things in and through his church. Always. One of the first things I want to kind of focus on is this idea of God's created people. God's created people. If you look, we're going to be, I have, we'll jump to a couple of other passages, but if you have your Bible and you want to open it to Isaiah 43, that's mostly where I'll kind of be jumping around. Um, anything in Isaiah 43 won't be on the screen. Um, just to honestly, to intentionally encourage you to use your own Bibles. <laughs> so, so we'll be in Isaiah, we'll be in Isaiah 43, and then I will reference some passages um, as we go, and those passages will, that I reference will be on the screen. But verse one, look at what he says. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob. He who created you. This is again in verse seven. It talks about everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory. Whom I formed and made. And he mentions this again in verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One. 
the creator of Israel, your king. The, the creator of Israel. God is reminding us that his people are a result of his creation. We all know the first few words of the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created. I have yet to speak to a Christian that struggled with thinking that they were capable of doing that. You know, maybe I'll meet someone someday. We know, we know that God spoke everything into existence in a way that's beyond our ability to even wrap our minds around. Spoke time and space into existence. And he's using the exact same word here. It's not like a weird English Hebrew difference or anything. He's saying, these, my people, you, Emmaus, my church, my people are, are from me. I've created them. I've created them. In the gospel of Mark, which is basically, Mark starts his gospel by saying, this is the gospel like in Isaiah. <laughs> That's how he starts his gospel. Quotes some stuff and he's pulls from Isaiah all over the place. But in the gospel of Mark, it's really interesting. This word comes up again. Mark 3, verses, I'll read 13 and 14. This is Jesus calling the 12 disciples. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12, with whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him and might send them out to preach. Now, it's fascinating in the English Standard Version, it would sound awkward so in verse 14, when it says he appointed, it's actually the exact same word as in Isaiah. He created the 12. And if you know anything about the history of Israel, 12 is not a coincidence. <laughs> Here is God in the flesh, desiring, loving, drawing near to a people, a people who can come towards him and so what does Jesus do? He creates 12. He's creating his people. Paul picks up on this idea with a little more depth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Probably a, a passage you're familiar with. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the behold, the new has come. Back to Isaiah 43. We are not equipped to create God's people any more than we're equipped to create time and space that we currently exist in. However, God has done wonderful things and has, God has created a people. And if you're in Christ, you're part of that new creation. If you're in Christ, something has objectively changed. 
Paul was very clear. The old has passed away, and now the people of God are, are created new. And there's something objectively different about who you are when you're united to Christ. You're a part of God's new created people. Look at what he says in verse two about his created people. Look at how he's working to encourage you with who he is and what he's doing in and through you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. He's created you and is protecting you. He's protecting his creation. When you pass through the waters, which if we think about uh, Noah and the flood, the waters is, a, or even the parting of the sea that destroys the, the Egyptian army, the waters are, are essentially a, a, an image of judgment and wrath in the Old Testament. As you pass through the wrath of God that's being revealed in all of creation as we wrestle with the curse, as you pass through this, not drowned in it, as you pass through this, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Why? Because he's created you for exactly that in Christ. This is a God who has created a new people. And he says in verse three, because I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your savior, your savior. I've created you a new creation in Christ because I'm capable and I am the one who is determined to rescue you. Verse four, you know, when he makes his creation, he declares it good, right? And then when he creates male and female, he says it's very good. And there's even a sense in the Sabbath where he creates this beautiful realm of existence that, the, uh, the, that, that even the wondering how God is gonna rescue them, the angels look down and desire to, to look on the beautiful things that God is up to. And before the fall, he said, this is very good, this is beautiful. And the seventh day is a chance to just almost sit back and soak in the goodness and the glory and the majesty of everything that God has created. I mean, even after the fall, we love to go to the mountains because we like see what he's done and it's just like, wow, this is beautiful. It is value, it's wonderful. It's no different for you. You're God's new creation. Look at what verse four says. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. You're God's created people. You're precious in his eyes. God is at work to create a people for himself. He is equipped. He is adequate. 
He is speaking new creation people into existence whom he loves and cares for. From everywhere. I love how he expresses that. I'm going to gather all of my new creation. He says, I, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory. As we look around, as we struggle with the things going on in the world, as we struggle with the difficulties even in our, our tiny little small community, as we, as we look at our schedule, as we desire to see God's kingdom come as it is in heaven, and we have this weighty sense of just being inadequate, God is speaking to us and saying, look what I do. I create. I, I speak people into existence. I make them a new creation in Christ. I utterly transform people. I say to the north, come on. I say to the south, bring it. I'm gathering my sons and my daughters from the ends of the earth. I am very capable of creating my people for my glory. I think a part of a part of why we have this like deep well, maybe I'll, say, I'll speak for myself. I think a part of why I struggle to feel inadequate is because I am, you know, like shock a little bit. And Isaiah is kind of going there. Look at what he says. He talks about God's created people and you're like, oh, wow, you know, look what God has done. But then he has God's, Blind witnesses. God's blind witnesses. Think if you were to like go to court and 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 have like a real weighty case, and you're like, look at the like this person murdered this person. I saw it, and like the person used a little stick to walk up to the, you know, like like you would just be like, what? <laughs> like how is this a witness to what has happened if this person can't even see? Look at what he says. He says, bring out the people who are blind. This is verse eight. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. And he's referencing, he's referencing what he said previously in verse 42, when he speaks to his people, he says in verse 40, or chapter 42, verse 18, he says, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant and deaf as my messengers in whom I sent? He's looking at the people he's created and he says, bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf and yet have ears. Like gather them together. And then he says in verse, verse 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, verse 12. 
there is a sense, there's a real sense as God's newly created people, if, as those who are united to Christ and are, are created new, there is a real sense in which we are incapable of doing what God has called us to do. We're not sufficiently equipped to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Like that is the reality of being finite, of being limited, of being in a fallen world, of dealing with brokenness. And that can be something as weighty and as serious as what happened this week. Like if any one of us could have done more, you know we would have. If any one of us could have done more, you know we would have. Just the, I mean, if you've been into a NICU, the like technology and the doctors and the patient to nurse ratio is um, is beautiful, right? I mean, just like, I'm very thankful we live in a culture where we can just dump resources on every level, on every front to save life that is precious. But at the end of the day, don't we feel a little inadequate? And it's not just that, right? Like this is obviously when Moses said, teach us to number our ways so we can gain a heart of wisdom. He knows that like this is a really vivid illustration of what we're not capable of. Which is why we worship a God who was resurrected and has defeated death. But that goes to so many other parts of our life. People that we pray for, children that we raise, people that we serve, <laughs> that come to us. I mean, how many times do we just feel like, what do we do with this? Interesting that this is a uh, I might have got the right one. It's green, it's currently green. I feel like I've said two contradictory things a little bit. God has created a new people, right? Like the oldest passed away, the new has come. You are his new creation. And he's gonna draw people in from everywhere for his glory. And yet at the same time, he's like, hey, blind witnesses. Who's blind but my servant? You are my witnesses. Like how, like how can we reconcile this reality that we're insufficient in and of ourselves, and yet God has also created us and made us something entirely new. I think I, 
I bring up the question because I think Isaiah begins to answer that question for us. Let's start in verse 20. Uh, Actually, I'll start in verse 16. Right before that, he says, I'm the one who's created you. And then, thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters? Think about that image. He's like, who can look at the ocean and say, there's the road, like to the other side. God's saying, I'm, let, me, let, me give, or let me remind you of what I'm capable of. I can look at the ocean and say, there's a path, there's a way. Who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior? They lie down, they cannot rise, they're extinguished, quenched like a wick. It's almost like this, he's like, who raises up armies and utterly destroys them at my whim, like a, like a candle wick. And he, he tells us that he's doing a new thing and he's, he's pulling from other parts of Isaiah and he's reminding us when he says, I'll make a way in the wilderness in rivers in the desert. That's not meant to be like, oh, we would expect there to be a path in the wilderness or we would expect there to be rivers in the desert. The wild beast will honor me and the jackals and the ostriches. The wild beast is a way that basically in the Old Testament, it's like communicating rulers without God's law. Like he's actually, it's like when we give up the parts of us that image God, we're like wild beasts. And here he's saying the wild beast will honor me. He's giving us all of these images of impossible things. He's like, you're a blind witness. Let me tell you the other impossible things that I do. I bring rivers in the desert. I make roads through the ocean. I make wild beasts who can't be tamed honor me as God. I do do it this way. I use people who are inadequate because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he says, I do all of this, the people whom I formed for myself, verse 21, that they might declare my praise. God uses you and makes you new in your inadequacy, in the ways you fall short, so that he gets all the credit for it. If you are capable, who would we praise? We're good at that, which is why we beat ourselves up when we're so incapable, because we felt so good about ourselves prior to that moment. And God's saying, you're not able, and I'm reminding you of that, yet I'm, I formed you, I created you, I want to use you and do wonderful things, bring rivers in the desert, roads through the ocean, because at the end of the day, if, you, if that happens, if you're the one I use to bring the glory and the majesty of the kingdom of God, God has to get credit for that. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians. I love this and I hate this on, you know, as I wrestle with these things in my own life because I don't like the weight of my inadequacy, but 
1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 says, God chose what is foolish, the blind witnesses of Isaiah. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not. Like you can't get more useless than that. Why? To bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So that no human being would boast in the presence of God. So that all of our praise and our glory and our songs and our worship would go to him. Would go to him and not to ourselves. God's created a people. God's using blind witnesses. But God is also communicating his ultimate desire to you and to us. He's communicating his ultimate aim, like the thing that he wants the most out of those of us he's created. This is what he wants from you. Verse 21 tells us the reason, and I said it already, and we'll expand on this in the following verses. Why does he do all of this? That they might declare my praise. That we would worship him. That's what he wants. He wants you to worship him for what he does. He wants you to worship him for creating you new. He wants you to worship him for using you in light of your weaknesses. He wants you to worship him when he brings a measure of encouragement when you feel inadequate to do so, because you are. He wants you to worship him when he begins to make changes and transform you and you look more like him because you've drawn more near to him. He wants you to worship him for what he does. His ultimate desire is both for praise and presence. His ultimate desire is both for your praise and your presence. He wants to be near you. Which makes sense if you're precious in his eyes and he loves you. God's ultimate desire for you is for your praise and your presence. That's what he wants. Look at what he says in verse 22. It may not totally make sense at first, but bear with me. I mean, that's most of Isaiah, I feel like. Um, you did not call upon me, O Jacob. So he, he says, I, I'm doing it this way, so you praise me. And he goes, you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. Like weary of God? You've not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. Now, I think in our foolish brains, we're like, God needs us for stuff. Like God's over there like, you didn't give me anything, you know? Like, like he has some, you know, like posture of like, 
I wanted you to praise me and you didn't do any of this stuff, you know? Like we, we think about our petty nature and how we are, we're needy. Like we need stuff. I think it was A.W. Tower says, need is a creaturely word. Like that doesn't fit with God. If you think he needs anything, you're already not considering him appropriately. So what is Isaiah, what is Isaiah, what is God saying when he says you haven't brought me these things? This is how Israel enjoyed and drew near to the very presence of God. God said, I'm dwelling with you, Israel, like no other nation in the world. I spoke everything into existence. I created you out of nothing. I gave you a land. And I said, look, I reside here, the God of the universe that's created everything. This is how you approach me. And you're like, ugh. I don't want to be near God. For whatever reason, you know? I mean, I can think of things in my own life. I'm too busy. I feel bad. I sinned. God's ultimate desire for you is for you to praise him and for you to be with him. That's what he wants. And you might think, well, don't I, shouldn't I like look like, you know, shouldn't I not sin, you know? I hope you're, I mean, if you're thinking that, awesome. You're not thinking that I'm bringing you into what everyone else, what the negative, the Enneagram ones that are critical are thinking. <laughs> um, look at what he says at the second half of verse 24. Think of how he contrasts this. Verse says, but, like you haven't drawn near to me. You haven't been present with me. I've done everything I can to bring, to, to make space for you to be with me because you're precious in my sight. It says, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. And I think there's a handful of ways to take that. But look, but I, it just struck me the contrast there. Like he could have said, and he does have issue with like what, how we dishonor him with our actions, right? Like he could have said that and said, you could be doing, you could be doing, you could be loving your neighbor better. You could be doing this better. He could, he could list out, you could not covet. You could obey the Sabbath. He could be listing out all these things they could have been doing. He's like, but they're sinning. But his contrast here isn't with the actions they're really doing, like to look like Jesus, we would say, or to, to fulfill the 10 commandments, maybe in the context of Israel. He's comparing drawing near to him to sin. Like those are the two things. We, when we repent, when we turn from our sin, we turn, there's something over here. <laughs> That's God. <laughs> like, like we draw near to God, as we draw near to God, as we necessarily step into his presence and enjoy who he is and recognize his character and are just at awe with, with the creator of the universe, we're turning from sin. You can't, those things can't happen separately. And God is telling his people, my desire as you are inadequate is to show you how I'm at work within you and demonstrate my glory through you so that you would praise me and so that you would draw near to me. So God is saying, so I could be present with you. So I could be there with you. Now, there is 
there's the obvious problem, I think. Maybe it's not so obvious. There is a problem. If we're so wicked, how can we, how can God desire to like be with us? How can he be in the presence of sin? And the next verse answers that. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. This is why Paul can say, everyone in Christ is a new creation. You have every right as a Christian. You deserve to be in the presence of God because you're in Christ. Because of Christ, you deserve to be in the presence of God. I'll put it the other way around. Because of Christ, you're precious in his eyes. And he has blotted out your transgressions. That's why he wants to be with you. <laughs> like That's why he desires both praise from you and your presence. He wants that. That's his ultimate desire. I think this is most vividly, well, it's vividly shown. Try not to make ridiculous statements that don't maybe don't apply. You go to the end of the Bible, Revelation 22. It's like, you know, we could talk about, you could go to the beginning of the Bible and, and talk about the regular, talk about God's desire for Adam and Eve to praise him and be near him and the, how sin has like broken that. You talk about all through the Old Testament where he says, you're, you are my people and I am your God and I want you to be near me. And, and as, they, as they draw near to him in the temple, that shapes them and molds them, makes them look differently. Revelation 22 gives us a description here of God's ultimate desire at the, at the end of all things. Verse three. He's kind of just like described this new creation reality. He says, no longer will there be anything accursed. No longer will there be anything accursed. What a hope. No longer will there be anything accursed. That's what we have to look forward to. And when that's the case, when nothing is broken, when every tear is wiped from our eye, look at what God gets out of this. The throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. Praise. That's what he wants. He wants to be worshiped. And they will see his face. And they will see his face. That's a level of intimacy with God that we can't understand. What does God tell Moses? What happens if anyone sees the face of God? They'll die. That's what God tells Moses. Moses is like, let me see your glory. He's like, I'll put you under a rock and show you my rear end. It's a weird way to communicate it. But he's like, I'm gonna give you the tiniest little bit, bit of me because you're sinful, Moses. And if you're to see my glory face to face and have sin, you'd be destroyed. So they'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. 
as much as I want to think of like a stamp, you know, God, you know, <laughs> that's, that's not what he's saying. And, and he goes through this even in Isaiah. His name is like his character. Your forehead is like the obvious thing about you, you know, like God's character will be who you are. You are already a new creation in Christ, but you're wrestling with the brokenness right now. We're all wrestling with the brokenness, the accursed things. It does, even though we're wrestling with the accursed things right now, God's ultimate desire for his people, the people he has created right now, is for us to praise him and be with him. And in Christ Jesus, we are already seated with him in the heavenly places. There is a reality in which you and I get to experience the very presence of God. We get that. We get that today. My desire on a good day, right, for you and the things that I pray for for you is that you would see the praise of God and the presence of God is your ultimate desire. That you would recognize that you're weak and foolish. And yet, blind witnesses, God uses you for wonderful things to encourage you to praise him. So you can look back and say like, wow, look what God did. And I think you'll begin to see more of that. And we talked about this a little bit. We talked about waiting on the Lord. When you draw near to him, I think you'll begin to see more of that when you make it a habit of praising and worshiping him. And yeah, that can be on Sunday. I love what we do here. Hopefully it's not just on Sunday. I like to like write out things that I'm thankful for. Or my new favorite thing is to journal when God obviously did something that I didn't do. <laughs> I like, and then you go back and you have like a list of things and you're like, oh dang, you know, <laughs> he's at work, he's doing stuff. Praise him for that. I'm encouraged by that. And then I'm, then it's this like feedback loop of just wanting to see him and be near him more. But I, we have to, you have to step back and say, is that my ultimate desire? Is my ultimate desire to be near God? Or is it something less than that? And you might say, no, Aaron, my ultimate desire is to be like Jesus. Amen. But how are you like Jesus? You draw near to God. (laughs) And he changes you. He shapes you. He molds you. And despite yourself, he makes you look like him. (laughs) And he uses you. And then when you see that, you can respond with praise to him. (laughs) That's the... That's what I pray for on my good days. (laughs) I pray that we would desire what God desires. We would desire to draw near to him and we would genuinely desire to pray him, praise him. And I think if that is our desire, if that is what we pray for, oh man, he's gonna do amazing things and he'll just have a feedback loop of giving him glory. Let's pray and thank him for that. God, you are wonderful. You are so loving. And you are truly with us.
when we walk through the fire. Lord, there are, man, just painfully difficult things in this world on every spectrum. Sometimes those things are in us internally. Sometimes those things are just outside in ways that we can't even imagine. God, I pray that you would change our hearts, that you would stir our affections, and that you would make our ultimate desire to praise you and to be with you because that's what you're up to with your people. That's what you made us for. Thank you for this morning and just for the gift of worship. In your name I pray, amen.